Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Welcome to another FOMO Friday, and this one, of course, the day after Thanksgiving, we're hoping that you've awoken from your turkey coma, and and you're here in order to make sure that you don't have that fear of missing out. We love to do this on Fridays, especially for those that have given up the propaganda media, and we bring you the stories that you're probably most interested in anyway, right? And, and, you know, I have asked the question so many times of people, if the COVID vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting the virus, then why would you get vaccinated? And the answer most commonly given to me, well, it is that they say that, that you won't get COVID nearly as bad. Well, to this, I ask, what proof do quote, they, unquote, have. And no one can answer this because there isn't any. It has just been a talking point for Dr. Fauci and and others that just want you to get the vaccine and not ask any questions. Now, as time goes by, though, we are able to start to see some interesting numbers that are coming out about COVID and COVID deaths. Here are the real facts and data. And from a series of articles from the Daily Wire comes this one. The majority of COVID-19 deaths are now happening in people who are vaccinated, according to the new analysis. An analysis carried out by Cynthia Cox, who's vice president of the Kaiser Family Foundation for the Washington Post Health 202, found that, get this, 58% of coronavirus fatalities in August occurred in instances where the person was vaccinated against COVID-19 or had received a booster. The percentage has more than doubled since September of last year, when the number was only 23%, according to the Post, of of vaccinated people um, making up 42% of coronavirus deaths in January and February of 2022. Quote, we can no longer say this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, Cox told the outlet. And obviously that's in reference to our, our illustrious president saying that it was. Even though vaccinated people are still passing away from COVID-19, the Post, Post pointed out uh, to a, a, a recent Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, analysis that appeared to show that people should still get their scheduled booster doses of the vaccine. So even, even with all of this, they still want you to get vaccinated. The analysis noted that, quote, COVID-19 vaccines continue to reduce the risk of dying among all age groups, including older adults, which the most... Pr- um, the, the most protection observed among people who have received two or more booster doses, unquote. Now, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of, of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and the president's, of course, top medical advisor and the one making the most money of anybody in government, recently gave his last COVID-19 briefing as he plans to retire next month. It's about time. Republicans have voiced concerns over Fauci's recommendations regarding 
pandemic policies and his potential connection to the gain-of-function research in his career. They promised to investigate Fauci if they took control of Congress, which they did take take control of the House in the midterm elections. At the briefing, Fauci pressed the importance of COVID-19 vaccinations. This is what he said. Quote, my final message may be the final message I give you from this podium is that please, for your own safety, for that of your family, get your updated COVID-19 shot as soon as you're eligible to protect yourself, your family, and your community, Fauci said. (laughs) So he's saying this in the face of real scientific data. So Mr. Science, which he said he is science, that's what he said, he is now not looking at science and just saying get your vaccination despite science. As of October 20, 80% of U.S. population was vaccinated, while 68% fully vaccinated and 34 had gotten their boosters. Last year, the CDC also noted that sometimes booster shots are uh, mischaracterized as the initial dose, which can throw off the numbers. Still, many Americans do not wish to get vaccinated, despite the Biden administration's push to do so, as well as their attempted COVID-19 vaccination mandates. And, And I truly believe that people will look back on this time in history and wonder what we were thinking. <laughs> I really do. I mean, th- and, and this next story is both disturbing and scary. Ronald Reagan, I, I loved Ronald Reagan. And, and, and he was once asked if he was scared about what history would say about him. And the answer that that he gave was that he was a big believer in the fact that truth will eventually win out over time. And this next story is an example of this. The laptop repairman that obtained Hunter Biden's laptop has now written a book about what happened from his perspective. And it is both disturbing and enlightening all at the same time. John Paul MacIsaac was an introverted Delaware computer repairman until his life was destroyed for trying to do the right thing. With authorities thwarting or ignoring him at every turn, he said in his book released Tuesday, if you see something, say something, we're told. I did see something, and I did say something. I was vilified for it, he wrote. MacIsaac said that a boozy Hunter Biden dropped off three laptops for repair on April 12th of 2019 and agreed to pay $85 to recover files from one of them whose password, get this, here's Hunter's password, was something like anal F69. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. The now first son came back a few days later to bring an external drive, then never responded to the call informing him that the recovery was complete. So Mac Isaac immediately saw homemade porn littering the desktop, along with financial records detailing millions of dollars in foreign transactions. He wanted nothing to, to do with a political scandal. 
but he figured it would be a mute point as Joe Biden seemed too old to advance in the Democratic primary. But when then-President Donald Trump was subjected to impeachment proceedings relating to his alleged pressuring Ukraine president to investigate the Biden's family's business dealings there, well, Mac Isaac sensed injustice. Quote, I was sitting on evidence that could exonerate the president and justify his actions. Whether you like a person or not, everyone is entitled to a fair trial, he wrote. And under his contract, abandoned property legally became his. Now, reviewing the laptop's contents, McIsaac had seen that in 2014, Hunter and his business partner, Devin Archer, plotted a business venture in Ukraine that overlapped with U.S. actions. They discussed buying burner phones at a 7-Eleven on April 16th of 2014. The Vice President Biden met with Archer at the White House. Five days later, the Vice President traveled to Ukraine. The day after that, Archer was awarded a position on the board of directors of the country's oil and gas firm Burisma, with Hunter joining weeks later. Quote, To the tune of $1,295,000 each, McIsaac wrote. The computer's contents also showed Hunter telling his daughter that unlike his father, he wouldn't make her give him half the money she earned. Now, uh, Vladim Pozarevsky, who's Burzma's number two official, wasted no time in asking for Hunter and Archer's advice on how to how you could use your influence to convey a message or signal, etc., to stop what we consider to be politically motivated actions. Unquote. Related to the investigation into Burisma, he wrote on April seventeenth thanked Hunter for the opportunity to meet his father. This is what he wrote. Hunter and Archer hired a company called Blue Star Strategies to perform the heavy lifting between Burisma and the White House. And Blue Star began providing Burisma with sensitive executive branch information. Mac Isaac wrote in December of 2015, Joe Biden visited Ukraine and threatened to withhold $1 billion in loan guarantees unless the prosecutor who had investigated Burisma was fired. I mean, many of us have seen that video. McIsey became convinced that federal authorities needed to see what was on the hard drive, but he was concerned about bringing it to Delaware-based agents uh, because of Biden's sway. I mean, his father was a former Air Force colonel who had spent time in the CIA. So on October 9th, Of 2019, the elderly Mac Isaac flew to Albuquerque, New Mexico to deliver a copy of the drive to FBI field office office there. But the agent refused to accept it. Instead, grilling Mac Isaac's father on whether the computer repairman might have broken the law, he wrote. Quote, I consulted with a regional uh, legal officer, and he suggested you should get a lawyer, the FBI agent said, according to Mac Isaac. 
quote, you better lawyer up and don't talk to anyone about this. I don't have anything else for you and the door is on your left, unquote. In November of 2019, Special Agent Joshua J. Wilson of the FBI's Baltimore-Wilmington Division contacted the, uh, contacted the Mac Isaacs. Impeachment hearings were, were underway in the Senate on, on November 19th of, of, of 2019, and Wilson and, and another agent with the last name of DeMio visited Mac Isaac's apartment. Mac, Mac Isaac printed out e- the key emails and slid them to the agent saying, this collection of emails shows um, preferred access to the State Department as well as the vice president's travel schedule, all sent to private Ukrainian citizens. Have you spoken to anyone about this? Wilson asked. According to Mac Isaac, the agent left without taking the emails, taking only the contract that showed whether Mac Isaac was the legal owner of the laptop. On December 9th of 2019, they showed up with a subpoena to take the original laptop computer instead of taking the clone copy as originally discussed. On their way out, DeMio allegedly remarked this, quote, It is our experience that nothing ever happens to people that don't talk about these things. Unquote. It sounds a little bit like the mafia, doesn't it to you? It does to me. They said they weren't talking, they weren't taking the physical computer, so the FBI's top computer experts could assess it. But someone named Matt soon called with the most basic question about how to read a Mac hard drive. And he was attempting to boot up the the operating system directly, which could spoil the intact nature of the evidence. Mac Isaac said that they could come back to the shop so he could show them how to recover the hard drive. And DeMio was standing in the room with, with Matt, quote, absolutely not. We're done. Hang up. Mac Isaac heard him say, according to the book, quote, I sat back and pondered the, the multitude of possible reasons these FBI agents had chosen to give the laptop to someone who clearly knew very little about computers, he wrote. The week passed and Trump's impeachment proceeded with the laptop still unknown to the world. Mac Isaac just, uh, or was just an ordinary person with no experience dealing with the media, politicians, or the government, with no uh, movement uh, from the, the, uh, the, the FBI. His father tried to get it to the offices of Republican Senators Lindsey Graham and Republican Senator Jim Jordan, but got no bite, he said. Now, Mac Isaac sent a tip to Senator Ron Johnson's office and received back only an unsigned note that asked a few questions uh, kind of that, that seemed to, to probe into his own actions more than the substance of the laptop. Johnson's office then leaked Mac Isaac's identity to investigative reporter John Solomon without the consent he claimed. When Mac Isaac pressed for a substantive conversation with the Johnson aide. The aide called and said that two National Security Administration officials were also on the line, who proceeded to take over the call and grill Mac Isaac about his own actions, such as asking if he had ever been to Russia. 
again with little evidence in the hard drive itself, McIsaac claimed. It was not lost on McIsaac that the Trump impeachment trial revolved around the whistleblower whose identity had been ruthlessly shielded with social media blocking his name and and major media avoiding reporting it, even though some outlets reported that the whistleblower was a former aide of Joe Biden who would have had a clear agenda. Quote, why was I being made to feel so guilty about why people I was trying to help for doing the right thing, he wrote. Now, McIsaac ultimately took the drive to Rudy Giuliani, a lawyer for Trump, as a last resort. Robert Costello, who worked for Giuliani, promptly responded to a tip and asked him to FedEx a copy of the drive. On August 27, 2020, Costello immediately began going through it. Through Giuliani, the New York Post obtained access to the laptop, leading to a story that landed on October 14th of 2020. The Post um, neglected to redact the address of Mac Isaac's store, leading to a glut of threats and vandalism. Now, Mac Isaac hoped that with Giuliani's briefing uh, him based on, on the contents of the hard drive, Trump would bring the truth to America in the presidential debate. But Trump failed to clearly communicate what was on the laptop. This is what McIsaac said. To suppress the Post story, former intelligence operatives traded on their credentials to push a storyline that suggested that the kilt-wearing Scotsman with... um, that that he was uh, actually a Russian agent. Did they actually think I'd come to Wilmington 10 years earlier and open up a Mac repair business as a cover, just waiting for an intoxicated hunter to one day stumble stumble in with a damaged laptop, he wrote? He's got a point, doesn't he? (laughs) The day after the election, he closed down his business and left the state. Quote, I felt like I was being pushed and punished for having done the right thing, as if the powers that that be were, were setting an example for others who might have the same notion, he wrote. And that is exactly what they were doing here. That is exactly where, where they were going with this. That it, it may have delayed the truth from getting out, but it couldn't stop it. And this is, like I say, a bit disturbing, a bit enlightening, but we all went through this time. It's interesting to go through, go through the history and then see that history repeat, you know, repeated and, 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 uh, and, and educated to people who weren't there at that time. And obviously all of us were there. We saw what went on and we saw how this was hidden. It's interesting to now see the perspective of those that were involved in it. And something that I will never understand is why certain companies and organizations think that going woke will benefit them, particularly professional sports leagues. (laughs) I mean, people watch sports largely not to think about politics. They just want to watch and have some fun rooting for, you know, good old competition. Why... (laughs) Why do you think people watch the Olympics? You know, they, 
most of these sports they they never watch except during the the, the Olympics. I mean, how often have you have you turned on curling lately? But you watch it because of the competition of it and the pride in your country. But but they never really learn, do they? The 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 National Hockey League, the NHL took some heat over a Tuesday tweet promoting a transgender and non-binary hockey tournament and a follow-up comment asserting this, get this, quote, trans women are women, trans men are men. Non-binary identity is real. The tournament in question, the Team Trans Draft Tournament, took place over the weekend in Middleton, Wisconsin, and included only trans and non-binary players. On Tuesday, the NHL's official Twitter account shared several photos of the tournament, along with a statement showing support for the event. Quote, the NHL is proud to support this last weekend, this past weekend's Team Trans Draft Tournament in Middleton, Wisconsin, the, the tweet read. This was the first tournament comprised entirely of transgender and non-binary players, with around 80 folks participating. Hashtag hockey is for everyone. Hashtag NHL pride. But when someone, someone commented on the photo saying, so men playing on women's teams? The NHL account fired back at them with, trans women are women, trans men are men, Non-binary identity is real. <laughs> Here's what somebody else commented to that. The locker room situation must have been a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that was from Grabbing Media founder Tom S. Elliott. And he, and, and he also said that the NHL uh, out here trying to overtake the NFL as the worst-run sports league on planet earth. <laughs> uh, here's, here's some other ones from others. It says, turn off professional sports, walk away and never look back. The NFL should uh, uh, definitely let a biological woman line up against Alexander um, o- Ovechkin and see how that theory works out for them. That was Greg Price and he, what he treated, tweeted. Um, also, this is offensive to everyone who cares ab- and believes in science. That's Chris Loesch. He also said that really stupid for the NHL to wade into this. And I would agree with that. If trans men are men, why aren't they playing in a men's league? <laughs> that was from Midnight Mitch. Uh, and he asked the following uh, in his series of tweets mocking the NHL. And first, he pointed out the fact that as soon as the comments got away from them and started to go sideways, the NHL turned off replies to the tweets. Wow, shocker. And then came a doctored photo featuring transgender U.S. Assistant Secretary of Health, Rachel Levine, as the league's most valuable player. (laughs) It's really kind of a funny one. He's holding up the cup. (laughs) While the majority mocked the whole situation, there were several photos, um, or several, who pointed out the fact that as long as there was a a dedicated tournament for all transgender and non-binary players, if that grew into a league in itself, that could minimize the likelihood of 
illogical male players who identify as women might attempt to join an all-female league. <laughs> and speaking of woke companies tweeting really stupid stuff, the feminine product brand Tampax was trending on Twitter Tuesday as some followers demanded a boycott. Tampax had already come under fire uh, this year due to its leftist ideology and willingness to promote gender uh, theory. And this time, Tampax is taking heat for a strange and snarky tweet that some have interpreted as trolling men through intended audience, though its, its intended audience is definitely unclear. Quote, you're in their DMs. We're in them. We are not the same. That was the tweet. The tweet that that seemingly was referring that tampons go inside women and are closer to those individuals than men are trying, than the men that are trying to hit on them. Now, followers were outraged at this, this sentiment, which they claimed was sexualizing tampon usage. Um, Quote, peak uh, patriarchy, a company making women's products, insulting its entire customer base and thinks it's okay. You utter creeps, one shared. A woman's period products company is getting off on the idea that their products being inside of girls and women getting there first, while men are chatting them up hoping for sex. Overtones of rape, pedophilia, misogyny. What a hat trick, another agreed. So a tampon is saying to a dude framed as a sexual rival to the tampon, basically, hey, bro, you're too slow. I totally hit that already. How do you like them apples? And this is supposed to appeal to your your customers in some way? Or how about this one? No. It's disgusting and creepy. <laughs> just just keep it short, right? The social media fight evolved into some users accusing critics of being transphobics. <laughs> of course it was. Yeah, you don't have anything to say about it. Everybody's transphobic, right? Yeah, it's it, it's bad. I mean, in, in September 2020, Tampax inspired controversy by posting a tweet that said, Facts. Not all men have periods. Also fact. Not all people with periods are women. Let's celebrate the diversity of all people who bleed. So I really hope that this ad campaign designed for those that don't bleed will be successful in selling more Tampax, which is a product for those that bleed. Hmm. I don't know. This doesn't make any sense. Some things I'll just never understand. These definitely seem to be you know, really a lack of common sense. There there, there definitely is a lack of common sense in the world. A hence uncommon sense podcast here. And here's, here's an example. We want to, we want to, we want to end on a little bit of a a brighter note. (laughs) The uh, New York post came out with this. It said a Missouri man robbed a bank using a demand note written on the back of his own birth certificate while he was also wearing an ankle monitor related to an earlier offense. Now, Michael Conley Lloyd, he's 30, pleaded guilty to robbing a Bank of America branch in Springfield last summer and said that he did it to prove a point to his lover, though it's unclear what that point, <laughs> what the point was that he was trying to make here. Lloyd entered his plea 
to uh, one count of bank robbing in federal court on Friday, according to the Department of Justice press release. Now, in July, uh, he he uh, Lloyd stole seven hundred and fifty four dollars from the local Bank of America branch after giving the bank teller a note written on the back of his own birth certificate that read, give your money now. Don't say anything. I have a partner outside. (laughs) After taking the cash and his note from the teller, Lloyd left the bank and drove away in a black Dodge pickup truck belonging to his roommate. The boyfriend of Lloyd's roommate um, alerted authorities to Lloyd shortly after the heist, and they were able to locate him in the Lazy Acres mobile home park where he lived. As he drove away from the bank, Lloyd saw police cars responding to the robbery, causing him to become so scared that he threw the money out of the truck's window along with his birth certificate and ID. He allegedly then texted his roommate saying that, that her truck was stolen and that she should listen to the police scanner. <laughs> Lloyd told authorities that he and his lover got into an argument that day and that he that he had robbed the bank to prove a point. Authorities said Lloyd waived his Miranda rights and confessed to the robbery that same day. Investigators compared the previous booking photo to Lloyd in the in the surveillance photos taken from the bank and the bank robbery and it confirmed that he had been at the bank through the tracking of his ankle monitor. <laughs> not all people, not all people were given really the same amount of, of wisdom. I don't think they, they definitely don't embrace the same amount of wisdom is. And of course the Bible says to, to seek after it, but eh, this guy might want to do a little more of that. <laughs> anyway, you may agree with that. You may disagree. And, and you may just, like I say, be grinning uh, and, and, you know, recovering from Thanksgiving. But I, we would love to hear from you. And, of course, that can be done at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.